Thank you. It's so great to be with you uh, this evening. You can probably tell from my accent, I'm from Birmingham. Uh, actually, originally from Australia. Uh, and uh, for 12 years, I lived in Bangkok's largest slum community, some of 100,000 people in a square mile with my family. A house was the size of four double beds. Uh, and then five years ago, we moved into Winston Green. Does anyone know Winston Green? Yeah, a few people would know it. Uh, probably best known for the big prison that's there, you know, 1,600 of our neighbours are incarcerated. Uh, and we've moved into the old vicarage there, and, uh, and it's, it, it is a bit nuts, I must admit. I've just come from our service. We have a, you've got, I can't wait to, to see your new, new service. We, we meet in a yurt. Do you know what a yurt is? Like a round Mongolian tent, and we have two alpacas as well. We've got a third one coming. <laughs> So it is, it is a little bit crazy. Uh, and so, uh, you know, what does a person like myself share uh, in, with such esteemed people like yourselves? Uh, I really felt something around the compassion of God. How do we allow God's compassion to flow through us to engage all kinds of people? And, um, and it was, I, I love that passage we've just, just heard now, that the word became flesh and blood. Eugene Peterson's version has the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That God's present here and we get to join and participate with God. The text that I did want to speak on, if that's okay, is actually the story of the Good Samaritan. And uh, I, I can think of no more subversive scriptures than these. Uh, that can draw us into God's love and authority in, in a, and, and help us find life when all else is going crazy. Certainly been that, that's been my experience and uh, what I love seeing God do with people, including myself. So this comes from Luke chapter 10, verse 25. One day an expert of the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him dying there too, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion on him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, 
the one who showed him compassion. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Lord, I pray that this text might for us become your word and that it might transform us in a new way, that our hearts and our lives would be more closely in sympathy with you, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What the Samaritan did was amazing. He was traveling a dangerous path. He saw a person in need in a way that the priest and the Levite didn't. He felt compassion, something deep within him. The Hebrew word for compassion is said. It has to do with fidelity and being faithful, but also has to do with tenderness. And the Samaritan both felt and responded to the need. He came near to the man. When all the danger that he could be attacked to, he avoided all that. He kept going, went to the man, and of course did something that helped. Something that was remarkable. And that's what it means to be a neighbor. That's what it means to love your neighbor. Uh, in Klong Toy, I say it was, it was a transformative experience for me. Lots of people who have been outside their own comfort zones, who have been on dangerous paths uh, intentionally for the gospel, um, almost all say the same thing. <laughs> we get out to help, but actually God helps us become different people. And, and in Klong Toy, I got to meet people who really were Samaritans in remarkable ways. And so often, as this story is, uh, it's, it's the people you least expect who God uses. Uh, in 2011... We had huge flooding in Bangkok about this time in November. It's kind of the wet season uh, in, in Bangkok. Uh, and about 800 people died. About a million homes were impacted. And uh, it was horrendous what was kind of going on. And the whole city was in standstill for months. Uh, people died uh, not just because of drowning. Very few people knew how to swim. Uh, but also through electrocution, people would kind of be uh, electrocuted by, um, um, by this water just sitting there for months. But also a strange thing about Bangkok is it is the, the centre for leather of crocodiles. I don't know if we get the photograph up. Uh, but uh, what would happen... Uh, is that these literally hundreds of thousands of crocodiles were in pens. But of course, when the floods came, they would just go up and out and into neighborhoods and towns and villages. So much so that they put them, I can see it on your right-hand side, uh, there were bounties on the head of crocodiles. If you could get them, you could get some money. And, uh, but unfortunately, lots of crocodiles took, took people as well. And so we were in the southeast of Bangkok. Has anyone been to Bangkok before? Oh, quite a few people. So Klong Toy's kind of in the port area. We're actually squatting on, 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 um, on Port Authority land. Um, the community's been there over 50 years. And, uh, and so the flooding was mainly coming from the north, actually. The trees, most of the, so much of the trees and forests had been cut down. And so the water was just kind of streaming down with nothing to stop it. And we were waiting for that to happen to us. I was talking to... Um, uh, Ort, who was um, who's a football coach, uh, what, we have lots of scallywags in, in Klong Toy. The whole place is full of scallywags. It's fantastic. 
Uh, and Ort was no exception. He'd been in and out of jail for different things, but he was a really good footballer, really good coach. We'd started a football club, and uh, he was one of our kind of star coaches. He was, he was just a natural with these young, young boys, often they were, and he was um, really finding his feet as a coach. But unfortunately, our games were called off because, we're, because of the flooding. Then another friend of mine, S, came in. S is one of the first people I, I got to baptise in, in Bangkok, um, a great young guy. We'd help him start a small business, fixing up um, uh, re- refrigerators and uh, air conditioners. And, uh, and he was getting married. And he was, you know, normally he's this kind of happy, lucky kind of guy. But he'd kind of waded in, just absolutely distraught. He was white, white like a ghost. I says, yes, what's happened? He says, well, you know, when I'm getting married. He says, yeah, it's next month. You know, we can't wait. He says, but you don't look very happy if something happened. He said, well, we were going to move to the north of Bangkok. All my tools are there. My motorbike is there. But they've cut the whole area off. The army and the Red Cross aren't letting people in. And I can't, if I can't get my tools, I can't work. And if I don't work, we don't eat. And, and we won't be able to get married next month. I just don't know what to do. And I kind of looked at, at, at S and said, I don't know what to do either. Um, you know, if they're not going to let people in, how, you know, what can we do? But Ort, <laughs> who can't swim, <laughs> who uh, is actually quite scared of water, even though this kind of big tough guy, we, we went swimming once and he literally couldn't go in the water, says, I know what we should do, we should help. That's, you know, you talk about this Jesus person. This is, Jesus would, would help, wouldn't he, Ash? Yes, he would. Actually, he didn't call me Ash, he called me Lee. As he was saying, in Thailand, there's no SH sound, and the G and the K can sound similar. So my name's Ashley Barker in English, but in Thai, it's Ashley Bugger. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and I'd kind of giggle, and they'd want an explanation. So it was just easier to be called Lee. So actually, so Lee, Lee, you know... We, we should do something. So what, what on earth could we do? And he says, well, how about we get a uniform and we get a whistle. We pretend that we're kind of a, an, an, an emergency kind of action group. And we'll go in, we'll give out food and medicine to people who are stranded there. We'll get the tools and we'll go out. I said, well, I don't know if you, I'm not sure that works. No, 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 trust me, it'll work. A uniform and a whistle, you can run the country, you know. So... So this is, uh, this is Ort there on, uh, with the life jacket and the big tyre, because <laughs> he, he was really worried about the water. And before I knew it, they'd found boats, all the grandmas had all made food, they'd found medicines, and the little packs, and we're going past all the checkpoints, you know, the, past the, the army and past the Red Cross, and who, who are you people? Oh, we're, we've got to give this medicine to these people. You know, all very, you know, we've got a whistle, we've got a uniform, we're <laughs> very official. And, uh, and before I knew it, we're out into this, this, this kind of neighbourhood estate, you know, where, where S is supposed to go and, and he's kind of pointing in the right direction. But the water, and we've got a boat, we've got, you know, I don't know where these things have come from, but here we are, you know, in going deeper and deeper in the water. And it's starting to get, you know, it's all up around our face. And this is putrid water. It, it had been sitting there for, for weeks, if not months, um, it is the kind of water that you could probably walk on and it wouldn't be a miracle. It was that kind of water. And we're getting deeper and deeper into this. And I suddenly realised, my goodness, what, what if this is where the crocodiles are? And I say to Ort, is this, is this, you know, is there a crocodile farm near here? Yes, yes, there is. 
And if we find them, there's a bounty. We'll get 200 baht, you know, get 10 quid if we can find one. I said, aren't they dangerous? He said, oh, not these ones. These ones are tame. I said, man, I'm from Australia. I don't think crocodiles are tame. I don't think you could do that to them. He said, no, no, don't worry. We'll find we'll, 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 we'll be fine. But he could see I was really kind of on edge. And you know when things go quieter... And uh, you kind of become more kind of sensitive to what's kind of going on. And there was, I could see skipping on the water. Or my mind was kind of, you know, I'm pushing this boat along. And, uh, and it's getting deeper and deeper. And I thought, if something comes, there's nowhere for us to go here, you know. Uh, but we kept going deeper and deeper. And then something grabbed my leg. And I squealed at the top of my voice like a little girl. It was Ort playing a joke on me, thinking it was hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> we got in a bit further and uh, we, we got the tools. And, and each person we went past, we gave them food, we gave them medicine. And they said, who are you people? And I thought, oh, no, we're going to be in trouble now. You know, we're from Klong Toy. He said, yeah, the slum Klong Toy. He said, yeah, yeah, go Klong Toy. And they said, wow, you know, we, we didn't think you would help us. We wouldn't help you. No, no, this is the love of Jesus means that we, we give away. We, we care. Fight on. Something happened to those guys that day. This is normally the guys who are into trouble, who are, who are trying to find a new, new way of operating. But as they stretched out, as they reached beyond their own comfort zones, God did something with them in remarkable ways. T.S. Eliot once said, only those who risk going too far can possibly find out how far they can go. The guys went further than they should have and could have. But God met them and God's compassion flowed through them in remarkable ways. I didn't just wake up one day and want to go and live in a slum. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Uh, I don't know anyone who... Who, who does the kind of things that we've done over the last 30 years now. Um, it, it's a, in fact, more and more Christians read these stories and see kind of things happening, like the Good Samaritan, and, and somehow kind of make excuses for ourselves, as I could have made with Ort and, and with S. Um, it's easy to make excuses. In fact, there was a survey that Shane Claiborne uh, has anyone heard of Shane Claiborne? Um, Shane's a great friend of ours. We're part of the Red Letter Christian movement, trying to take the words of Jesus seriously, personally and community-wise and, and in the public square. And Shane did this survey of strong followers of Jesus, people that self-identified as strong followers of Jesus. And he asked them a number of questions. One of the questions was, uh, did Jesus spend time with the poor? Over 80% of these people who identify themselves as strong followers of Jesus said, yes, of course, Jesus spent time with the poor. I mean, think about the gospel stories. I mean, it's hardly a story, that we're hardly a chapter in the gospels where Jesus isn't touching a leper, going to the edges, going to the margins, going to the places of pain and suffering. And this is just where Jesus goes. So I don't know what those 20% were. If people didn't see that, um, maybe they found another gospel in a cave somewhere. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are so adamant about Jesus' concern. In fact, in, um, in the Bible, there's over 2,000 verses of Scripture that call God's people to engage those who are suffering and poor. 
But then Shane asked these strong followers of Jesus another question. Do you spend time with the poor? This time only 2% said yes. What they believed about the concerns and priorities of Jesus and what this group um, actually did in terms of their time and energy and resources was at odds. And why would that be the case? Why would people believe certain things about Jesus' concerns and priorities but not be able to do that themselves? I, I, I think there'd be a few things. Some things could just be time. You know, uh, you know, talk about spending time with the poor. Well, you know, I, I haven't got time for my own family, never mind people I don't know. Maybe it was about, uh, I don't know where to start, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Maybe it was their definition of poverty. Because poverty isn't just about cash. A biblical understanding of poverty is much more about lack of freedom to live a life that God intends. That lack of freedom, actually those guys like Ort and S broke that cycle rather than being, still didn't have much money, but they were free to respond the way Jesus would. Uh, so maybe they, when they think of poor, they think of somewhere else, someone a long way away, not the person who's suffering near them. But I wonder if it's about the nature of faith, actually. The compassion and faith are so intertwined. Uh, you know, uh, uh, when I uh, there's a big difference, I think, between Christian faith and magic. We saw a lot of magic in Bangkok. Quite literally, people trying to manipulate the spirits trying to appease the spirits to get things done for them. Some of these were quite extreme. If you've been to Bangkok, you would have seen little dolls' houses with uh, little people in them, and people would give incense and try and appease the spirits somehow, try to get what they want from the spirits. Often this was incense and things like that, but sometimes there was little whiskey shots. You know, if you can get the, the spirits drunk, they might be more open to your, you know, to your requests. But when I come back to the West, I think the biggest shock for me was that Christians, so many Christians, were just using God to get what they wanted. But Christian faith is about surrendering all to God so that God's compassion and love can flow through us to others. Uh, I still remember uh, standing up at a Tony Campolo meeting as an 18-year-old. It, uh, it was quite exciting. It was a big meeting. And Campolo was, uh, has anyone heard of Campolo? You know who I'm talking about? Uh, bald sociologist, wisecracking kind of guy. <laughs> and he just got hold of me. I, I, he talked about these kinds of stories in the Gospels. The Jesus who would go to the suffering and the poor, and that the poor in many ways were a sacrament of God. That when we look at, back at our lives, Matthew 25, 31, and the following, where we sheep and goats according to how we treated Jesus as he's found in the skies of the poor. And I remember him being in a train, he told this story. There were two guys in the train with him in a little booth. One of them collapsed and fell to the ground and started writhing around. He was having some kind of seizure. And his friend went to his aid, made sure he didn't swallow his tongue, made sure he was okay, got him back on his seat. And when he came back to consciousness, he turned to Campolo and said, 
I'm, I'm really sorry about this. My friend has this condition. I've just left my job over the other side of the country to be with him because he needs constant care. And Kampala said, wow, what amazing compassion you have for your friend that you would leave your job to be with him. He said, no, no, it's not like that at all. You see, we were in the Vietnam War together. I was caught behind enemy lines. I got hit by shrapnel and uh, I was dying in the pool of my own blood. And my friend saw me and under fire he grabbed me and pulled me on his shoulders and grabbed me back behind our own lines. He saved my life. After what he did for me, there's nothing I would not do for him. And I remember Campolo saying they put nails in his hands. They put a crown of thorn on his head. They put a spear in his side and he died and he rose again for you. After what Jesus has done for you. After the love that he has shown you, is there nothing you would not do for him? Well, I stood up willing to go to China for some reason. I'm not sure why. <laughs> uh, I met a, a young woman six months later who also stood up. She thought she was going to Haiti. We fell madly in love, actually. We didn't meet at the conference. We met six months later. We, uh, we got married as 20-year-olds. This year we celebrate our 30th year of marriage. But it all started for us with a sense of God's love for me, sacrificial love. And Remembrance Day, we, we think about this, don't we? The sacrifices others have made for us to free us so that we have opportunities. With a love, that's a, just a small touch of the love that God has for us. That God's love can move and flow and change those around us, including changing us. When, we, when we're open to that, God's love will change other people. I've seen that hundreds of times. Others' lives have been transformed, but also our lives get transformed. And that was the original part of the story. Where, when will we get eternal life? When will we get the promises of God? When will we experience real life? We experience real life when we open ourselves to the compassion of God. We risk our lives for the sake of others. We come alive to the promises of God. Lord, I thank you for each person here. I thank you for the love that you have for each one of us. And this Remembrance Day, we think of those who sacrificed and how that is just a small sacrifice in comparison to the sacrifice you made. And Lord, I pray today that not one of us would miss out on the life that you have, that we would go far, that we would put ourselves even in harm's way for the sake of your love to flow through us more deeply, more meaningfully, and that we too would find life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, friends.